and welcome back to Bicycle Touring Pro and the Bicycle Touring Pro podcast. My name is Sam. Thanks for joining us today. I am, uh, you guessed it, out on my bike. But really excited to bring you another episode of our podcast today. Uh, today we've got Eric Sedeno, aka the Bicycle Nomad, back on the show talking about his latest project, which is the Buffalo Soldiers uh, ride. And so I'm really excited to break that down with him. Please make sure you check out our other show that we did a couple episodes back about the Underground Railroad, which is a really great intro into Eric and all of his projects. Also remember, the best way to support the show is to eat the Bicycle Touring Pro shop uh, whenever you need some new panniers uh, or other bike gear. And that's shop.bicycletouringpro.com. And the link is in the description. All right. uh, With that, thanks so much. And enjoy the show. All yes. right, uh, Eric, it's great to see you again. Welcome back. I'm really excited to have this uh, this second chat with you. So to our, our listeners and watchers, uh, I'm really excited to be speaking with Eric Cedeno today from Bicycle Nomad. And so the last conversation Eric and I had was fantastic, and you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts, but I'll put a link down in the description as well. But the last conversation, Eric and I talked a lot about Underground Railroad Trip that he took a couple years back, which was incredible. And so um, definitely check out that previous conversation for information about that trip. But excited to have Eric back for a second time because he's doing all kinds of other cool stuff uh, that we needed to talk about. And so I'm really excited today to kind of dig deep into the Buffalo Soldiers and the great project that Eric did last year and then maybe continuing as well, which we might get into. So Eric, do you want to just start off? First of all, just kind of introduce yourself to, to folks and talk about Bicycle Nomad for people who maybe didn't listen to the previous conversation and then... We'll, we'll go from there. Well, thank you again for the invite on the second part of this interview. I love chatting with you. And the first one, we could have talked for hours, right? So again, <laughs> thank you for the invite. My name is Eric Cedeno. And on social media, people know me as the Bicycle Nomad. Wonderful. All right. Um, and we'll we'll definitely put links again to all of Eric's stuff in, in the description. So you can follow him and you definitely should. But Eric, why don't you start by just telling us who were the Buffalo Soldiers, what are the Buffalo Soldiers, and kind of what inspired you to to take on this this project? So years ago about, I've always been fascinated with history. Geography and history were my favorite subjects in school. And I've always been fascinated with history. When I started traveling by bicycle, I wanted to know who were the first people that traveled by bicycle. Where did they go? Why did they go? And I wanted to know a lot about the history of traveling by bicycle. So I started doing some research and I found in 1890s, there were a lot of expeditions done by either one person or two people. And and I was fascinated uh, what I was reading and fascinated about the the bicycles that they were doing these expeditions. And and then I came across the Bicycle Corps uh, the 25th Infantry, and there were bis- and there were Buffalo Soldiers. And Buffalo Soldiers were, uh, there were four regiments of black soldiers in the army. There were the 9th and 10th Cavalry, and there were horsemen, and they were one of the finest horsemen the army had at that time. And the 24th and the 25th Infantry. So the 25th Infantry did a project that some people call it an experiment, and that was done out of Fort Missoula, Montana, and they did three expeditions. But let me go back to when I discovered this. I was like, wow. For the first time, I have seen people on all my research that looked like me way back in 1896 and 1897 
that were traveling by bicycle. And I was like fascinated because, and felt cheated because I was like, how come I didn't learn this when I was in school? This is, uh, these are pioneers and, and how come the industry, the cycling industry has then celebrated these pioneers. And that's when I was like, I want to know everything about that. I want to know the routes that they took. I want to know the bikes that they used. I want to know what they ate. I want to know their personality. I want to know the names of the cyclists. So that was about eight years ago when I went deep into uh, doing the research. And um, in 2021, a friend of mine was like, hey, what are you going to do in 2022? And I'm like, every year I do a project. And I've always been fascinated with this history. So in 2021, I decided, well, in 2022 would have been 125 years anniversary from that 1897 ride. So I was like, I would love to do that expedition and, and do it as historically as possible. And at that point, I was ready. I was not ready eight years ago. I was not ready five years ago. And when I say I was not ready, it was more like historically. I, I didn't know enough about them to to pay homage to them, just like like I did in 2022 when I was able to discover everything that that I possibly could. And I was like, I'm ready. In 2020 and 2021, I, I realized that I have the, the historically map available for me to to complete that that expedition. That's, that's incredible. I, and we're definitely going to get into the trip itself. But I I'm also just curious, you know, you mentioned that the Buffalo Soldiers were, uh, it was part of the army at the time, right? But I guess, what, what was the purpose of, of the bicycles and the travel? What, was there a purpose to it? Was it um, an experiment of sorts? Like, what, what were they doing out there, I guess, Adapt- as they're doing these trips? Yeah, it, it, there was a big purpose. It was, um, they wanted to see, the army wanted to see if they could use the bicycle as a method of transportation. At that point, there was only horses that they were yeah. using. Right. There was that was before the car came in. So they realized that the bicycle was cheaper than maintaining a horse. They also realized that they also realized that the bicycle are more quiet going into a battlefield than a horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was a a, a big purpose for this to work. And yeah, and that that was the excitement that I, I, I became like really fascinated about this history because. I love the bicycle and the bicycle <laughs> has um, transformed my life, but also uh, there's such a big history on the bicycle. And 125 years ago, these guys uh, completed this expedition on single speed, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll maybe get to that, which is a whole other uh, whole other thing. But right. so maybe um, again, before we get to your specific trick, I, I'm, I'm still just like you are. I'm so fascinated by this uh, this history as well. What was their experience like, as far as you can tell, as far as, you know, the bikes they rode, the route they took, what they ate, you know, the gear that they used? Um, obviously, this is a long time ago. And so obviously the technology, as far as bikes and gear and stuff, is nowhere near what we have today. Uh, right. But I'm just curious because it's, there got to be so many challenges just with the era that they were doing this in, right? Um, oh. So talk to us a little bit about what you learned uh, about that. Well, hundred percent, and I know that a lot of your followers are bicycle travelers, and they are they could they could recognize what I'm about to say. So each trip that we take, we become better, right? Like, or we change the way we pack, we change our gears, we change maybe our tires or wheels. 
the way um, we travel. And that's what they did. They, they did three expeditions. The first one was from Fort Missoula, Montana, where they were stationed about 300 miles round trip, that first expedition, to a place called McDonald Lake. And then they came back, right? It was about four days, 300 miles. Uh, literally a couple of weeks after, they went from Fort Missoula, Montana to Yellowstone and back. That's about 600 miles, but they did 200 miles or so inside Yellowstone. So it was reported that they uh, did close to 800 miles in that expedition. Well, and as they went on, they realized, you know, because we could talk so much about the bikes that they had on those 1896 expedition compared to the 1897 expedition. So just to give you an example, in 1896, there were wooden wheels. Wow. <laughs> and they realized that the 1897 expedition was going to be cross country from Missoula, Montana to San Luis, Missouri, 1900 miles through the continental divide to the lower plains of Nebraska and Missouri. So the climate was going to change. There was going to be some rain, some snow, some mud. So they realized that they had to change the wooden wheels to steel wheels. So in 1897, they added steel wheels. But also wow. in 1897, they added a chain guard. So that's how we're able to recognize when we have pictures from the National Archives in D.C. and we look at expeditions and pictures from 1896 and 1897, the way we could see which one, because they're not labeled 1896 or 1897, mm -hmm. the way we're able to tell is by either the wheels Right. Meaning that wow. um, they were wooden wheels in 1896, steel wheel in 1897, but also uh, they added a chain guard in 1897. So when you look at pictures from their expeditions, you could tell which era it was or what year it was because of that chain guard, because they realized that there was a lot of mud. They didn't have roads that we have today uh, yeah. paved. It was uh, mainly dirt, mud and gravel road that were really hard to navigate, especially, again, on single speed. So they make some changes uh, on their bikes. But the bikes that they had were called Spalding bikes in 1897. And they were the, mo the most modern bikes for that time. So they had an amazing technology for bikes, you know, made by Spalding. Well, that's incredible. I... I I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted, you know, that this was even possible back then. Um, like you said, the roads were not paved, right? Um, so you've got this, this bike technology that is, it's probably very advanced for the time, right? But it's nowhere right. near what we have today, right? No. And I'm just, I'm going to never complain about how rough a road is anymore because, you know, I'm riding my advanced bike this year with great tires and, you know, a nice steel frame. And I can't even imagine, you know, trying to do this back then. I, and again, with the quality of the roads, that must have been just really challenging, especially up in the mountains. Um, so till today, like if you try to complete that route, is a very hard to navigate because most of it yeah. is um, gravel, mud. Yeah, and and even though we have the technology, and that's why I was so fascinated to do the ride because I wanted to feel what they felt, right? Like, okay, I want to go through the routes that they went through. Yeah. And that was very important to me to recreate a historical route that was very close to the original 1897 route. And 
man, I had challenges uh, and I have yeah. 14 years of experience of traveling by bike. And it was really hard with the bike that I have. I have a, a, a brand new steel bike with 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 gear, right? And, so, 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 and it was hard going up the Continental Divide. So I couldn't imagine what they went went through. And 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 that's why I, I love celebrating and talking about them because they they are now my heroes, you know? Yeah, I, it's incredible. <laughs> um, and I'm going to have to some after research and try to find pictures of these bikes. And if I can, I'll try to put them uh, in, in the episode. Um, yeah, and I could uh, send you some as well. Online. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's do that because um, I think folks listening and watching would be interested too. But what, tell me about, you know, I imagine that the folks doing these rides were probably some of the first bicycle travelers ever, right? I, I don't know if that's the case. Maybe you've done research into that, but I... That certainly there are not the resources out there that we have today on kind of how to do this and how to do right. this well. Correct. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm curious what they ate, um, how they took gear, how they slept, you know, all yeah. of these things, these kind of logistics things that sometimes we, we take for granted just because, especially in the United States, we have good infrastructure now, right? Where you can probably hit a town every, you know, 20 or 30 miles Correct. and resupply. But I imagine back then, it was a lot harder to, to do that. So talk about kind of the, the I guess, the gear and the logistics aspects. Yeah, that's of, a very insightful. Way back then. That's a very insightful question, Sam, because yes, uh, what we have today compared to 125 years ago is a lot different, right? So there were, like right now, like you mentioned, I could travel anywhere in the U.S. And for the most part, every 20 or 25 miles, there's a town where you could, have something to drink or something to eat. Well, not back then, right? So those guys had supplies that were for two days. So Lieutenant Moss, who was the leader of the expedition, wanted to do 50 miles. He figured that 50 miles would be a, a great mile to, to complete, to show the army that, hey, this works as well uh, as the horse. They didn't want to take the, the cavalry or the horses away. They wanted to include horses and bicycle, right? But they realized in order to, to show the upper ranks that this works, they had to do high mileage. And it was 50 miles. Again, single speed. They carried two days worth of food. So about 100 miles, right? Two days <laughs> worth of food, 100 miles. Every 100 miles... The army will resupply them with um, food, tires, wheels in different towns. Mm -hmm. And I'll show you a map later. And they follow a railroad line, actually a two railroad uh. lines from, from Fort Missoula, Montana to Wyoming. There is the Northern Pacific railroad line and then after wyoming they connected to another railroad line called the burlington railroad awesome. line that goes all the way up to uh, st louis and when you see pictures of my expedition and the 1897 expedition you'll see a lot of railroads yeah. they either riding on the railroad or next to a railroad and that was uh -huh. that was that's why it was, the railroad was so important for them because that's how they got resupplied. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, when it comes to food, they carried coffee, which I love that they did because <laughs> I love coffee and, and you know, coffee and, and cycling and bikepacking goes way back. All right. 1897, yeah. <laughs> they were carrying coffee. They have flour, 
they have bacon and their like toothbrush, brushes for the hair, uh, clothing, and they will buy either meat or eggs along the way where there were yes. farmers and they will uh, resupply sure. that way as well. Yeah. Um, well, the, the railroad part is super interesting as well, because um, I imagine back in that time, that's really one of the only ways that you connected the East and the West of the United States, I imagine. You know, there's no interstate highway system, obviously. There weren't cars. Um, and so, yes, there, there are probably some of these you know, dirt, rough dirt roads and gravel roads from time, from, you know, from place to place. But the railroad, I imagine, was um, how, how people traveled long distances at that time, right? Correct. Um, and so that's, that's really interesting that they kind of use the railroad as a resupply. Uh, not venue, only, I guess. Not only did they use the railroad to resupply, but they, back then the rail, the railroad was, um, it was, they used the water on, mm -hmm. on the, for the train, right? Remember? Interesting. Yeah. Do you know about history of the, back then it was, uh, they would put water into the railroad into the trains, right? So Got it. I'm telling you that because back then there would be tanks along railroad tracks uh -huh. where I found out later into my research that that's how the, sometimes they would resupply water. Interesting. <laughs> wow. And also steam engines, right? And so that's probably engine. how they resupply. That's exactly. Yeah. I, I lost my train of thought, but uh, steam engine and they will use those big tanks to uh, protect themselves and, and take shelter from the weather, mainly from wow. the sun, uh, but also to get some water. So that was pretty I interesting. I never would have thought. Yeah. That, is, that is super cool. Awesome. So again, just fascinating history. And that's why I love talking to you because it's never it's never only about just cycling. <laughs> you know, you really like to, to mesh the history as well, which is which is amazing. So now let's, let's talk a little about the trip that you did. Um, and so talk to us about uh, the route, you know, kind of how you planned it. Um, and just a little about how you put the, the trip itself together. Yes. So again, I became his, uh, interested in this history about eight years ago, but I wanted to learn more and I couldn't find a lot of like the route and how to do a route in 2022 compared to 1897. Um, in 1897, there was a lot of public lands. Now there's more private lands, right? So how do I even start? So the first thing that I came across was the original map that they used. And those maps are located at National uh, Archives Library in D.C. <laughs> and most of the information that I gotten was from the National Archives in D.C. And when I saw the map, I didn't know what that line, which it was the railroad track. I was like, what is this line on this map? <laughs> and I'll show you that, uh, that map. And then when I, the more I read, I realized that that was the railroad line. And then there was a shaded area around Nebraska. And I didn't know what that meant until I realized that that was the toughest part of this expedition for them, which is the Sand Hills of Nebraska, where I was reported that sometimes temperature would go up to 110 degrees for them. And, and, and back then, Nebraska, there was no towns in between. So yeah. they would go a lot of miles without having to drink water, right? So, yes. but again, when I do a, a trip similar to the Underground Railroad, I want to do it as historically as possible. I want to go where those people spend the night and I also want to go where they ate. I want to experience what they experienced. So 
uh, it was very important for me to to recognize exactly where they went. So at the National Archives Library, you will see newspaper clips from the towns that they visited, right? And I was able to match that with the journal of the Lieutenant Moss, who kept a journal. But they also had University of Montana student. He was 19 years old. His name was Edward Booth. And Edward was fascinated with the bikes in that time. And he approaches that. He was not military. He approaches that. Mm. And he said, I want to go with the black troops from Missoula to St. Louis. Wow. And his dad says, yes. His dad was the editor of the newspaper for uh, the Missoulian newspaper. And his dad told them, I want you to take photos and write journals every day of, of, of activities. Wow. And I came across his writing as well for Edward Booth. And that's how I was able to put this piece together, which it was like a puzzle. Because, I, again, I wanted to match the new newspaper clips to his writing, to the lieutenant writing. And luckily, we had a lot of the photos from the 1897 because of Edward Booth. And this, Sam, was the story the newspaper was telling in 1897. That's, awesome. That was pretty interesting when I found out yeah. that this was the story the U.S. media and the newspaper was telling back then. And, and, and basically because of Edward Booth, he was a journalist there and he was feeding his dad information. And that was going uh, between Missoula and St. Louis where they, that was a newspaper in St. Louis that was writing a lot about the expedition but when they were going into towns a lot of journal newspapers were going like hey we want to know more about what you guys are doing so those paper clips i came i came across that but uh, interesting thing that i found out the new the st louis newspaper called this the greatest cycling achievement ever wow and till this day i think it's that you know but yeah. uh, they recognize uh, the achievement of this man back then and and it was pretty cool that's incredible. And I'm um, further really glad that we can kind of share this story to as many people as possible because I, I, I agree. It. I think it needs to be shared um, because, I, again, this is something that I never learned um, in, you know, in history class or anything like that. And even as a cyclist for a long time, I, I didn't know much about this. And so um, I think it's important to, to share that history. So, no, and I appreciate this platform because this is not just black history. This is U.S. history. This is cycling history. And I said this is outdoors history, yeah. you know, that. That needs to be told, right? So, yeah, the uh, the the journals that the 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 son was was writing on the road have got to be some of the first ever. It's a ride report, ultimately, right? Like he's you know he's he's writing about their experiences um, on the road, and I think those would be fascinating to read as well. If we can try to um, link those or find those, I'll talk to you after. But um, yeah. I think a lot of our writers would would find that really interesting. Um, you know how the challenges that they were going through on the road, and I'm sure a lot of the same challenges that. Um, cyclists today go through as well. So, and I encourage people to go to Bicycle Nomad uh, Instagram, Bicycle underscore right. Nomad, because the way I documented this trip, Sam, was from day one to day forty-one, which it that's how long it took them to to travel. I followed the same miles, same dates that they were going through different towns, and I documented it through the eyes of of that journal that I found from Edward Booth. So yeah. if people go back to wow. June 14, my first post, which was the day that they left to July 24th when I arrived 
to San Luis, I pretty much were um, every day I was doc- I was documenting his journal actually, so people could go there and read it. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, thank you. I will definitely link that so so folks can. So just the the route again to be clear. So you started in in Missoula, right? Um, and then imagine you go through some of the Rockies and then and then down to St. Louis, right? Yeah. So I started in Missoula and then went towards Helena, Montana, okay. which and just before Helena is Continental Divide. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I was there the same time that there were some of the Continental Divide. Riders were coming yeah, through. Yeah, the tour so divide. That's the incredible. The tour divide <laughs> was happening the same yeah. time that I was I was going, and and it was so interesting because they were going really fast, and I'm just taking my time, taking pictures, <laughs> and documented my yeah. my expedition, and 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 when I was riding, people would turn around and like, "Oh, bicycle nomad," <laughs> and they thought that I was in a continental divide. Yeah. But then a few people did know about the expedition that I was doing, and they were like, "I love the pro- uh, project that you're working on," and. It was a. That's, it's really. I love the bikepacking community, the cycling yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Even in a, in a race like that, you know, sometimes people are willing to stop and <laughs> and say right. hi. And that, that's what's great about uh, you know this these these ultra long cycling events. You know, whether it, you know you're taking it easy and it's it's a leisurely you know thing you're enjoying, or whether you're racing. You know, these races are long enough that you know you can stop for half an hour and talk to somebody and yeah. you know it's not the end of the world and sometimes it helps energize you you know to to right. have that experience. so that's really cool kind of the intersection of you know your oh, trip yeah. and then the the divide route so that's Yeah awesome. that was amazing so then I went over the continental divide went into Helena Montana went towards Bozeman and then from there uh went into Wyoming which is the same route that they took and and I dropped from Wyoming into South Dakota, which it was just one day on the tip of South Dakota, yep. just before we enter Nebraska. And from Nebraska, we went from western Nebraska to eastern Nebraska, where we uh, connected into Missouri and then Missouri into St. Louis. Yeah, that was the Very route. Cool. Um, and, and where in St. Louis kind of did you finish? Because obviously it's right on the Mississippi. Was it... What, what, did the Mississippi play a role in this in any way? Um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Some of it. I think the Mississippi played uh, a, a role where at the last three days of the expedition, the first, they follow kind of uh, hugging the Mississippi a little bit. And uh, But the Mississippi wasn't a part of it like the, the railroad was, <laughs> right? So they finished at 6 o'clock in the afternoon, July 24th, of 1897 at uh, Forest Park. Forest Park is, yes, Forest Park, St. Louis. Yeah. Wow, very cool. And so, um, you know, some people might know, some people might not, but St. Louis today is, is is a big city, but it's not considered one of the major American cities, I would say, right? It's kind of a mid-sized city, but back in this time, St. Louis was one of the, the biggest, most influential cities in the country um, at the time. The, the Gateway Arch, it was the gateway to the West, um, the West. you know, and so... I, I'm curious too if there was a specific reason that kind of that was the ending point of the route, and and, and you know any any history that you learned about St. Louis and kind of the way that the city played into the Buffalo Soldiers as well. Well, you know, a part of the history that I know, there's a lot of gaps in this history, uh-huh. so I don't know why they selected St. Louis as the the end. Sure, I know that they selected the route because it was very diverse when it came to the first two 
expeditions, which they were done in Montana. From, from Montana to St. Louis, like I mentioned, you go through the Continental Divide, Wyoming, South Dakota, Nebraska, uh, the Sand Hills of Nebraska, and then into Missouri. Very diverse. And I was just having this conversation yesterday. And when I say diverse, I mean the climate, temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started, it was about 44 degrees in July and June 14. When they started June 14, they dealt with snow, yeah. right? Um, but then when we went over to the lower plains into Nebraska and Missouri, then it got to 110 degrees wow. for them. It got to 105 degrees to me. Wow. And very humid. They dealt with uh, humidity in, 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 in Missouri. And that's why they wanted to create that route. Uh, I know that they created it because they wanted this to work. They, they wanted to adapt the bicycle as a method of transportation for the Army. There was actually a fourth expedition that was not oh. completed, and and that was very interesting. It never happened. In 1898, they wanted to go from Fort Missoula, Montana, to San Francisco. Wow. That never happened because in 1898, there was a, a war that we call today the Spanish War, and they fought yes. that in Cuba and the Caribbean. So um, that was never completed, and, and the project kind of died. Sure. Uh, so that was the last one. But an interesting story that I have is when they arrived to St. Louis, first of all, they were welcomed by over 10,000 people. Wow. They were welcomed by over 10,000 people. A few hundred people, probably about 300 people, rode with them the last few miles into Forest Park. And that was pretty cool. But also, they waited almost two weeks. And I was trying to figure out why they waited two weeks in St. Louis, and Lieutenant Moss wanted to return back oh, by okay. bicycle. So from St. Louis, he wanted to go back to uh, Missoula, Montana, but he was decli- it was declined by the Army, and then they uh, shipped the bikes back to the manufacturer, and they, they went back to Missoula, Montana. So I wonder if any of the bikes that they used are still... You know, in a museum somewhere. Did you ever find find that out? Is there is there any model that still exists of something similar to what they rode? Yes, um, I say yes. There is a bicycle that I found in London. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that is very close mm-hmm. to what they rode. It was not one of the bikes that they rode, sure. but it was that um, what we call an uh, 1897 Spalding Special. Okay. That was the what they wrote, and I found one in London. There you go. <laughs> I would love to get a hold of it. Yeah. And I chatted with the owner of, of um, that owns that bike. But here in the U.S., I have not been able to find any of those bikes. Yeah. I imagine the and actual we, bikes. We have looked. Yeah, I, I imagine looked. you've looked. I, I imagine the actual bikes themselves are uh, <laughs> were in great shape after all of those miles. Um, Correct. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 that was very interesting, right? Because yeah. I, I would love to see one of those bikes and yeah, see how exactly. they look. So yeah, especially with like the wooden wheels, um, which is still Correct. just baffling to me. But <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think I, I'm curious. I think um, a lot of folks listening, um, you know, often have, have this question about. You mentioned you know the start of your ride was relatively cold, and the same with them. They dealt with snow, and then you finished. Um, you know, got into the Midwest, and it's a hundred degrees. How do you how do you plan for that logistically? You know, and how do you deal with obviously the the clothes you're wearing when it's forty degrees are going to be very different from the clothes you want to be wearing when it's hundred degrees. So, 
kind of talk to us about how you manage that logistically, you know, not just on this trip, but on any longer trip where you're dealing with changing weather like that. Yes. Um, what I usually do is I like to go light on, on when I, I travel light when I, uh-huh. I go on this expedition. So I don't carry a lot of stuff. When I first started, I used to carry a lot of stuff. And now I like to go very light. And 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 now I have a system, right? So when I saw that the weather was changing, I shipped a couple of things back home because I'm like, I don't need I don't need all these jackets. Um this and is- I don't need these layers because I'm about to go into hot weather and, and I don't want to carry all that because for me I travel with a lot of food and I prefer to have food than some of these clothes <laughs> that I'm taking. Uh, I'm plant-based and I've been uh, vegan for over 30 years. So it's very important, especially on a trip like this where I'm traveling cross country to make sure that I have this enough is- fuel for, for my body. So um, so I look at when, when you ask me, what, how do I plan a trip like this? I look at the weather pa- pattern. Is- I don't like to look at elevation much because... <laughs> Then I get scared about yeah. <laughs> you know climbing that, but weather pattern I do I do research and I realized that it was going to be pretty cold, pretty cold for me that I live in Southern California, uh, yeah. uh, right in at forty four degrees. I enjoy it, but I also want to prepare myself so I don't get sick and I continue uh, this expedition because I one of the things that I did not mention or I probably mentioned quickly is that it was very important for me to go places that they uh, went to. And ride the miles that they rode. So mm-hmm. I literally follow them day by day. So June 14 of 1897, June 14 of 2022, and and so on and so and so. Um, and I wanted to experience weather pattern, and I got to see some of the places like in Big Timber, Montana. It was reported that a Civil War veteran was uh, having a drink, potentially apple cider, because that's what they were drinking back then, and. And and he saw the formation of the bicycle court coming in and he welcomed everyone to come into the tavern. And I love that part of the history yeah. that, that they experienced because he bought everyone a drink. And Sam, I was able to find that particular tavern wow. that's still there today in uh, 125 years later. So I like to experience yeah. uh, those moments, right? And I got to also camp at places that they camp and a couple of military bases um, and for and for Harrison in Helena, Montana, I stayed there, which they stayed there when they were going through um, Helena, Montana and and Fort Robinson in Nebraska uh, stay there as well. So um, I, I plan my trips more. Someone asked me a similar question. How do I train for something like this? And as you know, I, I prefer to train my mind more than my body, usually on the bike most of the time. So I know physically I have it in me. It's just mental. And going through those cold moments or hot moments is what I train because I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona for five years. And I would bike in the summer where it would be like 115 or 120 degrees. You will see me biking. But I'm biking because I'm preparing myself for when I'm going through moments that are really hot or if it's really cold, I'm biking or if it's raining, I'm biking because I want to put my mind to where um, 
even though it's pushing me outside my comfort zone, when I get to doing an expedition, I'm like, I've done this, right? Yeah. I, I bite in the hot weather and, and I will get emails from people, texts when I was going through Nebraska. Hey, be careful when you go through Nebraska. So it's 105 degrees, 108 degrees. And, but I knew my body and, and I knew how much water I needed to, to take in and, and so forth to, to stay healthy. And that was pretty cool. In Nebraska, was very interesting because when I was going into a convenience store and, and I had the convenience uh, <laughs> and they didn't have that, right? But I'll go into a convenience store to get water or something. Uh, I will go into the beer cooler and just cool off. And I will stay there for like 30 <laughs> minutes or so eating potato chips or, or having water and, and planning my next route and, and things like that. But yeah, I when you ask me about how I plan, I, 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 I work on my mental aspect on on putting myself in those difficult moments. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a it's a really great point. And um I you know, I do something similar. I think um that this is generally just a great tip for a lot of people listening or wanting to do something like this is, you know, most people can't do this full time year round, right? And so we all have busy lives. And so um, not everybody can get out for three or four hours every day and train like that. But, you know, I, I don't have a car where I live. Right. And so I bike everywhere. And so um, that includes I bike to the grocery store and I put my panniers on my bike and I load them up with groceries. Right. And rain or shine, you know, cold or hot. Um, that's just a great way to kind of integrate riding and training, frankly, into your life. And especially if you're trying to do a trip like this, like this, getting used to, you know, biking loaded, whether it's groceries or stuff for work or some people now even have those cargo bikes and they take their kids to school in the morning, you know, right. um, just try to integrate, integrating those, those little trips, um, you know, into your daily routine can, they, they really add up, you know? Um, and so I think that's a really great, great point. Um, and, and super cool that, you know, you're able to, to do that. Um, especially in Southern California and Phoenix where it, uh, it gets plenty hot. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's great. And when it came to food, that was, that's always a challenge <laughs> for me. But like I, I mentioned, there's, um, I go to a convenience store and, and when I went on this trip, I remember going and, and finding like tortillas yeah. and then I saw like a refried bean, right? And I'm like, oh, this is vegan because they didn't have uh, any animal byproduct. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to add some potato chips. And I found like some barbecue potato chips. So I, I put the, the, the refried bean and, and, and the barbecue potato chips and I rolled them up and I <laughs> ate them and, and, and sometimes it tastes good while I, you out there, but I might not do that when sure. I'm home because I have several <laughs> other options, but really tastes really good. And those little things that will carry you through the next yeah. place where the next place might just be, uh, peanut butter and jelly and, and things like that. But I, now I have also protein powder and vegan protein powders that I, I carry with me that I might just need either water or, um, or oat milk or almond milk and I mix it and it has all the nutrients that I need as well. So, um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And I, um, we talked about this before I'm, I'm vegan and plant-based as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure some of our, right. our, our listeners are most probably aren't, and that's totally fine. But, um, I, I think that the point stands regardless that, um, it's good to prepare and take advantage of, um, resources when you have them. Right. And, that, that's Correct. important nowadays. I imagine it was even more important for uh, the Buffalo Soldiers 125 years ago when they were doing this. But, you know, if you um, are, you know, happen upon a convenience store and you can stock up on water, right, even if you still got some, take advantage of those opportunities to to get water, whether it's water or good food or a good night's rest, right? 
um, especially when you're on the road for an extended period of time, um, taking advantage of those resources when they're when they're ample for you um, is great because you're not always going to have that. Um, those guys dealt with uh, one of the challenges that they had was weather and also terrain, but uh, finding water. Yeah. They they weren't able, especially in Montana and Wyoming, there's lakes and rivers and things like that. There, they were able to resupply water, but when they went into the lower plains of Nebraska and to Missouri, it was really hard to find uh, water. Yeah. And they dealt with um, a lot of them became sick because they will uh, drink water that were contaminated. Yeah. And some of them were contaminated by cattle and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of challenges that they dealt with for sure. Um, I, I can't imagine. But uh, again, I'm really um, excited and glad that, you know, you're able to bring some of this history to light because it's so cool and, and so important. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and certainly encourage folks again to check out the pictures and some of your posts from from this trip uh, because they're incredible. And just if you're whether you're a cyclist or you like history or both, um, you'll, you'll find it really interesting. Um, but I know you're also um, considering some some projects for the future. So I'm curious um, if you're you're able to tell us anything about you know maybe what you might have planned going forward, yeah. So um, the bicycle corps did three expedition: the 1897 that I just completed last year, and uh, the other two ones that they did in 1896. So I'm doing some research on on where, kind of like the same research that I did for 1897. I'm trying to figure out where they went and how they got there and things like that. So. I'm working on a research and I potentially will be doing one this year, the first expedition that was from Fort Missoula, Montana to McDonald Lake, uh, about 300 miles, four days in Montana. So I'll be going back to Montana uh, potentially around the end of July, beginning of August. And next year, I want to do the Yellowstone ride from Fort Missoula to Yellowstone and back. And and those are very important for me to tell their full story. Yep. Uh, one of the things that I'm also doing because I'm able to recognize in 1896, uh, they traveled with eight or nine people, and I'm able to recognize everyone by face and name. <laughs> but in 1897, I know the name of all the writers, but we're not able to put a face with a name. Sure. And that's one of the work that is very important for me to to do, uh, because I, 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 I'm so connected to this history because it's personal to me because when I learned that I couldn't figure out who was who, uh, it saddened me <laughs> because I'm like, this is somebody's grandfather. This is somebody's great grandfather that if that was my grandfather or my great grandfather, I want everyone to know how cool he was and some of the cool stuff that he did. Right. So for me, it's very important to recognize everyone by face and name. And that's the work that I'm doing. Uh, in 1897, there was 20 of them. Uh, again, I mentioned I know everyone by name. I don't know by face. Uh, two years ago, we started working on recognizing their faces and name. We're able to recognize about eight of them right now. And there's 12 of them that we still don't know uh, which ones uh, are those yeah. faces and name. But we're doing that work, too. And that's um, I'm, I'm doing work on the bike and off the bike as well for, for to pay homage to these guys who deserve the dignity and it wasn't given to them while they were alive. So I, I, I just want to uh, do that for them. Yeah, no, they absolutely deserve it. And like I said, you're, you're doing a great service, not only to Thank you. The, the cycling community, but, um, you know, um, 
these are our ancestors of of people that yes. are living today, right? And so you're you're bringing 100%. these things to light. Um, and this incredible 100%. project that you know that they took on um, back in the day when that this was truly groundbreaking. You know, Reach. no one had really done this before. Um, and 125 yeah. years later, we're still doing it and enjoying it. Um, I'll buy it with some some better technology and things that maybe yes. you know help the help the process be a little bit more enjoyable. But regardless, I these people were truly um, groundbreaking, and so um, they're groundbreaking and pioneers. I agree absolutely. And so, um, and and you said heroes. Really, I think um, for for you and are, are becoming my heroes too because of, of how cool yeah. this is. And so, it's so yeah. cool that you're, you're taking on this project, and um, I'm I'm excited that you're continuing it and. I'll certainly be following and <laughs> excited Thank to you. have you on after maybe uh, to recap yeah. uh, the next trip. Let's but, do it. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, thank you again so much for for joining us and for taking us through this. Again, I really encourage folks to follow you uh, everywhere uh, that they can find you. And we'll put the, put the stuff, your links and stuff in the in the description um, because that's probably the best way to stay in touch and keep, uh, keep yes. up to date with what you're doing next. So um, again, thanks so much, Eric. Uh, it's been a pleasure. The Bicycle Nomad. Um, and, uh, yeah, anything, uh, any closing thoughts for, uh, for the listeners? No, I think that we have the responsibility to not just enjoy the outdoors, but to recognize those people that came before us and, and to pay homage to them. So, uh, that's the reason for my project. So right. thank you again, Sam, for having uh, the opportunity to speak. And this is not my story. It's their story. I'm just, uh, the guy filtering the information and. Uh, thank you for shining a light to that Absolutely. project. Um, well, you're doing a great job. So, <laughs> all right. All thanks, right. Eric. See ya. Yeah.